to the ministry of Reverend Jerry Payne, founder and head pastor of Disciple Nations Church, the word please. It's in first century charismatic, apostolic and an evangelical ministry. Reverend Jerry Payne is passionate about soul winning, working of miracles and empowering believers to take their rightful place in the world. He believes that Africa must send the gospel of Jesus to every city, town or village of the world and thus he is committed in doing by establishing 50,000 churches across the world in his lifetime. He is a gifted teacher of the gospel, a prophet and an entrepreneur. He is a marketer and an investment banker by profession. He holds an MBA in marketing from the University of Cape Coast, Ghana. Now here today. Amen. Father, we honor your presence this morning. We are so grateful that your grace has found us. Thank you for making it possible for us to gather in your presence under your feet. Holy Spirit, speak to us in a language we will understand. Let my hearers be blessed and let me, the speaker, also be blessed. Let the sick amongst us be healed. Let the captives be set free. Let the gospel be preached. Let Jesus be exalted. I hide myself behind the cross. I say, Jesus, use me as an empty vessel. Touch my tongue and be a blessing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for availing yourself to be in church. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. To 70. But realize this that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, reveless, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, uh, irreconcilable, irreconcilable. They cannot consult men. Malicious gossips. Today we'll look at it. Um, uh, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, uh, treacherous, uh, reckless, uh, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in the last days, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as this. For among them are those who enter into households and Captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as James and Jambres, uh, Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janice and Jambres, Jambres' folly was also. Now you, now you followed my teaching. Or now you, now you followed my teaching. Conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, 
what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? If you've not underlined verse 12 yet, please do that. We are not talking about persecution as a result of your foolishness. Only Obabia Kodawi or Christ, only now you're persecuted. I will say, I am being persecuted for Christ. Where are you going? Kasi Amen. Who didn't say, who didn't say, who didn't say, I am being persecuted for Christ. Where are you Say, you are living a godly life and you are being persecuted. This is what we are talking about. Say, Amen. So, if you are being persecuted as a result of your own lifestyle, which may even be contrary to the word of God, it cannot be persecution for Christ. Amen. I need to uh, explain this one so that you will get it. Because a lot is happening in our world today. Amen. So if, if you are being foolish, you are being stupid, and you are being persecuted, it is not for Christ. You are being persecuted as a result of your own foolishness. You may be even be preaching but it is not persecution for Christ. Persecution for Christ says that all who desire to live godly, amen. So if your persecution is as a result of you living a godly life, then we can say that this persecution is as a result of you living for Christ. Say amen. So all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, godly in Christ Jesus, Thank you, Holy Spirit. So I'm even getting to understand that there can be some form of godliness, godliness that is not even in Christ. So the apostle had to make it clear that the kind of godliness I'm talking about is godliness in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if you are being persecuted because of your stance for the Lord, this is what we are talking about. Verse 13. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So they'll be deceiving and they themselves will be deceived. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned. You. Who is who? Who is you? Me. Or see, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. That is why I teach the things I teach. Continue in the things you have learned. So, it is only the things you have learned that you'll be able to continue in. If you have learned nothing, you can continue in nothing. Amen. So, the things you are taught, the things you learn, the things you know are the things you live with, are the things you apply. So, if you know nothing, you apply nothing. As a matter of fact, the way you live your life is the best way you think that life must be lived. True of us. The way you live your life, it is the best way you think life must be lived. Until you are taught another way by which life can be lived, you will be tempted to think that what you know is the best. Amen. Many of us, before we started driving, our desire was that God would migrate us from Trotsky. You know, Trotsky to taxi. 
And the Uber came. Then our desire is that, oh God, my grief as the Uber. Amen. Because we thought that Charlie, that was it. I mean, then FSL two fee in a car, but no chauffeur. No, I could be Ukara, what be back door, what Tanasana. But then, after using that for a while, you realize that Charlie, this is not the level. Amen. This is not the level. So, what you know oftentimes makes you think that that is the best way to live a life. That is why you must be taught. That is why you must be in church. That is why you must read the scriptures. Amen. So I see you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. So last week, we looked at teaching, which is also doctrine. For reproof, in other words, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. So today we're going to focus more on verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. We already looked at teaching. So today we're going to look at reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Verse 17. So that the man of God may be adequate. Give me New King James Version of verse 17. That the man of God may be what? Complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the end result for scripture is that you will be complete. You will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants you to be a good person. God wants you to live a good life. Amen. God wants you to live a good life. God wants to make you complete. God wants to make you perfect. God wants you to be adequately equipped to face the challenges of this life. But that cannot happen until scriptures are, uh, until you are consumed by scriptures. Amen. What makes you do good works is the amount of the word of God that you have in you. It is not even how long you pray. Because even prayer must be based on the word of God. The effectiveness of your prayer is based on the word, is based on the strength, the value, and, and, and the potency of the word of God in you. Amen. So your prayers will be effective because your prayers are based on God's word. Your prayers are based on scriptures. So God wants us to do good works. God wants you to be a perfect human being. God wants you to be admired. God wants you to be accepted. God wants people to like you. God wants you to be happy. 
But before that will happen, he says that the scriptures are profitable for teaching, for correction, for, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. Then it doesn't end there. He said when all of this happens, then the man of God will be complete. So until you are rebuked, you are corrected, you are trained in righteousness, you will not be complete. You will not be adequately equipped and you cannot do good works. One of the reasons why there are Christians, Ghana is said to be a Christian nation, right? We, are, we believe that we are a Christian nation. But you know the kind of evil that goes on in this country. Who are the people behind the evil? You cannot tell me that it is the 30% who are not Christians who are behind it. In fact, even if it will shock you that if an armed robber is caught and you give them a form to fill it's a religion, most of them will write Christian. The accountant who is adding figures to figures in the office can even be an elder in the church. I'm telling you. If you are a young girl, now you judge who around the apostle or no better. Or your apostle, I'm telling you, or your apostle. Or no better. Or no better. Fee, 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 fee. Oh, America. Your pause is here now. You don't know what to do. Yet, we are Christians. Do you know why? It is because and we go to church. We go to church, but there is no difference between us and the world. Amen. We go to church, but there is no difference between us. Between us and the world, in fact, sometimes we are even worse off than the so-called people we call unbelievers. Today, I want to speak to you on reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. You can just say scriptures are profitable part three, but we are looking at reproof, correction, and instructions in righteousness. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Have you seen it? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myth. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. So, the work of an evangelist is hard. Amen. 
Amen. Yeah. Paying attention and obeying and learning correct doctrine is also hard. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfilling your ministry too is hard. Amen. It's hard. Give me that scripture. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Amen. Alright, so today I want us to look at reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Scriptures are profitable, part three. Reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Reproof or rebuke refers to the idea of exposing or pointing out sin. Are we together? Give me the verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is profitable by God and profitable. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. So the word reproof there is talking about exposing or pointing out sin. And it was the same thing he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. I see for you, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ is who is to judge. Okay, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Amen. So to rebuke is to expose or point out sin. The King James Dictionary defines it this way. It says that rebuke means to reprimand somebody, to strongly warn the person and to caution the person to restrain himself for some, from something. Give me Psalm 119 verse 21. Psalm 119 verse 21. You rebuke the arrogant. You do what? It's talking about God. You rebuke the arrogant. The cursed who wander from your commandment. So people who wander, people who stray from the word of God must be rebuked. Amen. You must be rebuked. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 20. So when people go off, when people veer away, when people backslide, scriptures encourage us to rebuke them, point out to them that what you are doing is sinful. Those who continue in sin, what do you do? What do you do? Let's read together. Ready, go. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 20. Ready, go. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Powerful scripture. Underline it in your Bible. Many Christians don't like the idea of rebuke. In a culture that promotes tolerance, Accepting others as they are, you are likely to run into friction and problem and trouble with others whenever you try to rebuke 
people. However, we also know that the Bible calls us to become more like Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way we can become Christ is when we are constantly being rebuked to come out of sin. As long as you remain in sin, you are not likely to become like Christ that God has made you. When a fellow brother or sister does something that runs contrary to scripture, we are expected to remind them of the truth of the scripture in love. So when people veer off, when people are going contrary to scripture, we are expected as believers to remind them of the truth. Amen. We are expected to remind them of the truth. To rebuke someone is to criticize him. Are we together? Yeah. Is to criticize him or her pointedly. In other words, to, to, to rebuke someone is to criticize the person by pointing to what the person has done wrong. So, for example, you are in the church and you are sleeping with the girls. You must point it to you that what you are doing is wrong. Are we in church? You must point it to you. You are sleeping with people's husbands. You must point it to you. Say, but today we don't like that. Because if you do that, your church will not grow. The reason is that it is believed that Hello. Amen. But the Bible encourages us that when people stray, when people go off, when people veer off, when people backslide, when people are living in sin, we must rebuke them. The reason is that until you are rebuked, you cannot come back to track. Are we together? There are moments when all of us must be rebuked if we fall into sin. And there are times when a believer needs to rebuke another believer with love and discernment. Let's look at a few scriptures. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 verse 29 to 31. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees sharply. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What is that? Rebuke. For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophet. Jesus says so. Rebuking the Pharisees. Rebuke is God's own way of bringing us back to track when we go off from his ways. When you are rebuked, don't get out of the church. Are you here? When you are rebuked, listen to me, 
It is the, it is the people who love you that rebuke you. Bible says that the child that I love, I chastise. If your parents don't rebuke you when you go wrong, you are in trouble. Are you here? Are you here? If your elders don't rebuke you when you go wrong, you are in trouble. Some of you here, your parents have decided to say, Because the last time now, if your pastor cannot rebuke you when you go wrong, you are in trouble. He's not a good pastor. In fact, he's not meant for you. Jesus rebuked Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's interest. Get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine? I tell Charles, you devil, go away from me. Say the guy one. Oh, you don't know this song. You devil, go away from me. Imagine I say this to Charles. That is the last time he will come to church. Oh, so the pastor now calls me devil. So if, if, if I, 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 am, I, am, I am the devil, what am I doing in his church? Some of you will say, cast out the devil in me. Jesus rebuked Peter. And guess what Jesus said? He said that I am rebuking you because you are not setting your mind on God's interests. So Jesus rebuked him. Paul also rebuked the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 22 and 30. Paul rebuked the Corinthian church. Paul also rebuked the church in Galatia in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. He rebuked them. Jesus also rebuked the Laodicean church. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. In fact, when you read Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, 19, it's a very interesting read. Talking about the church, the Laodicean, the, 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 the Laodicean church. Rebuke them sharply. Amen. Amen. And then, I like this one. The Old Testament. Prophet Nathan rebuked King David. In 2nd Kings chapter 12, verse 1 to 12. Do you know what King David did? Let's read 2nd Kings. 2nd Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 to 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little uh, ill. Ill lamp, which he brought, he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his, his own herd to prepare. For the wayfarer who had come to him, rather he took the poor man's ill lamp 
and prepared it for the man who had come to him. He had a lot to. He didn't kill any of his own. He took the one that belonged to the poor man to prepare food for the traveler. Verse 5. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. The prophet went to him and said this to him. Huh? That there are two people, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had a lot of goods, a lot of money, but the poor man had just one. Are you getting the scenario? The poor man had just one. But when the rich man had the visitor and the visitor needed to eat, the rich man went to take the only one that belonged to the poor man. David understood what the man was, the prophet was saying, but he did not know that the prophet was referring to him. (laughs) So the Bible says that David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to the prophet, Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Can you imagine? This is David talking you know, sometimes, that's what we all do. It is easy for you to rebuke others, but when it is your turn, it will rebuke you. Now both. He said, this man deserves to die. Verse 6. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. He didn't know he was describing himself. <laughs> Verse 7. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. You, you, you. You are the man. What can you now? It is you. That says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. And it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like this. I gave you your master's wives. I gave you all. I, the Lord, gave you. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Send the man for war. Go and die. Then you took the wife. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. That says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. This is God talking to the king, David. Verse 12. Indeed, you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Look at verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Rebuke brings restoration. Are we together? The Lord expects that when people go wrong, we point it out to them as believers. Amen. Yeah. So, so, before you can become complete, thoroughly equipped and doing every good work, you will be rebuked several times on your way to the top. When should we rebuke? When should we rebuke? 
proper Christian rebuking starts from the heart. It starts from where? Before you confront anyone about anything, you must first consider your motives. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 14. 1 Corinthians 16 14 says that everything must be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love, including rebuking others. There is a right way and a wrong way to rebuke someone. Wrong rebuking arises from pride. Wrong rebuking arises from what? Pride, wrath, resentment, envy, or ego. So, because I envy you, everything you do, I criticize, I rebuke. That is not the kind of rebuke God is talking about. Did you see how Nathan went about the rebuke? The man David already knows, knew what he had done. Nathan could have gone there and said, you, that says the Lord. No. He went calmly and gave a scenario. David himself gave the verdict, the judgment. So, by the time he finished with David, and David also had finished saying all that he had to say, now the man there comes and says, that is very powerful. But the man I am talking about here is you. What can you do? You cannot get angry. You have already passed the verdict. The man must surely die. So if it were to be somebody else, you would have killed the person. Now it is you. Amen. So, wrong rebuking is when you do it out of motive, uh, 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 out of enviness, out of pride. Out of ego. Amen. Amen. The aim of a misguided rebuke is to harm, shame, or self-righteously judge a fellow Christian. And that is not the kind of rebuke I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the rebuke that you do with the motive to disgrace others. With the motive to, to kind of destroy people. That is not the kind of rebuke I'm talking about. Are you in church? Many of the Bible's teachings against judging others relate to those who rebuke others for the very things they do themselves. Give me Matthew chapter 7 verse 3 to 5. So, when the Bible is teaching against judging others, Bible is not saying that we shouldn't rebuke. But Bible is talking about the fact that you should not rebuke others about things that you yourself, you do. For example, you are a drunkard. Because you hide to drink and nobody sees it, you think it is fine. And then you saw somebody who is drunk on the street and you are condemning the person. You are a hypocrite. The fact that you don't booze doesn't mean you don't drink. Every booze, thank you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! So, so you see, first, take the log out of your own eye 
and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's not saying that do not rebuke, but make sure that the things you are rebuking others about, you are not doing sin. The apostle Paul says something in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 27. He says, I discipline myself that after I have preached the gospel, I say, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, me, me. I discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Are we together? So, normally we take this scripture out of context. Don't judge, don't judge. No. If you are rebuking people with the right motive, you are not judging them, you are helping them and I'll prove to you. Jesus gave us something in Matthew 18, 15. Explicit direction for managing situation in which a fellow Christian is engaging in a sin. He says that if your brother sins, do what? Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have done what? You have warned your brother. We all sin in many ways. But when another believer is choosing sin that harm themselves or someone else or the body of Christ, we are to intervene. We are to do what? We are to intervene. A rebuke is needed at times as we must care for each other and live in truth. Give me James chapter 5 verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from what? From what? From death and will cover a multitude of sin. Are we together? Are we together? Yeah. So, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save that sinner from death and will cover a multitude of sin. A confrontation may be difficult, but it is not loving to allow a self-proclaimed Christian to proceed in a sin that will bring God's judgment upon them. And people claim they are born again and they are living their lives in sin. It is not right for us to watch them to continue in their sin so the wrath and the judgment of God will come upon them. It is not right. Tell your neighbor it is not right. So when people claim they are born again and they are living in sin, we are expected to rebuke them. But we are expected only to rebuke them, number one, when we ourselves, we are sure that we are not doing the same things they are doing for which we are rebuking them. Are we together? Yeah. So, before I come and tell you that it is no good to commit adultery, I must make sure that me, myself, I don't, I don't do the thing. Because then, if I am doing it, and I'm now coming to tell you not to do it, I'm being a hypocrite. And that is what he says we do the Pharisees about. So, make sure that you are not doing the same thing that you are going to rebuke the person about. Number two, do it, rebuke with the right motive. We are, don't rebuke to shame. Don't rebuke to destroy. Don't rebuke out of enviness. Some people, because they don't like you, whatever you do, they will complain. That is not the kind of rebuke we are talking about. We are talking about a rebuke that is done out of a sincere heart. Are we together? 
Are we together? Are you sure? Are you here? Are you learning? So when, when, when you are going wrong, other believers are expected to bring you back to track. Amen. When you come to church and the pastor is preaching and he's talking about the things you just did before coming to church, don't say that because when a church saw me, he went to tell the pastor. Even if that is the case, did you do it or not? Which one do you want? That we will see it and talk about it so that we will save your soul. Let him know that he who takes a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Which one do you want? That your sins will be covered and your soul will be delivered from death or you'll be judged by God. Which one do you want? Huh? Hello? Which one do you want? You won't talk. I don't hear you. Let me tell you something. One of the easiest ways by which God saves us eh, is by bringing people into our lives who can rebuke us. You want a fine pastor who always comes to tell you that I see! Hey! Something is... That is all you want. You will not go far. Amen. You don't go far. I'm telling you, you don't go far. You need that pastor who is in tune with the spirit of God. Are we together? Who is in line with the spirit of God. That pastor who has the spirit of God in him. That he allows himself to be used by the spirit of God. That whilst you are in the service and you are listening to him, the spirit of God can pick your sins and begin to minister through the pastor to you. That you will change. God expects that when you come to church, he will speak to you, then like Nathan did to David, you will see your fault and you will repent. That is what God expects. God does not expect that we will come to church in our sins and live in our sins without remorse and without repentance. That is not what God wants from us. Amen. Amen. So you need a pastor who, who is a lover of the spirit of God. A pastor who loves God. A pastor who has the spirit of God in him. Uh, even a pastor who, know, who has people who know you. That when you do wrong, they will tell him and then you will tell you to stop. I like the way the church is quiet today. My point is here. Amen. So rebuke is of God. Are we together? Rebuke is of God. Do you remember the scripture we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4? He said that in the last days, eh, in the last days, children will, will be disobedient to parents. Parents cannot rebuke children any longer. I pray for you. May you not get there. I said, may you not get there. Hey, if you are here and your parents have ever said to you that me Kawa send you, I'm begging you, go back and apologize to them. Tell them that I beg you, talk to me, rebuke me. Because that is the only way that your life can be straightened. Are we together? Yeah. We are the only person Huh? Small girl, would you be a crunchy? What's up, my anchor? Because you can't quarrel on baby. Hey, let me tell you what. Quiet, Juma, a different. Huh? Ananya, me sum so a day. Oh, are we? Are you in church? They say quiet, Juma, a day. 
different. In this, I am talking about you living your life to please God. Because you see, on that day, God is not going to talk about how you sang in the choir. No. God is not going to talk about how you brought people to church. You will get a reward. But as to whether you will even appear there to receive the reward, it's another matter. Are we together? So you must be rebuked. You must be rebuked. Bobby, the Christ you have come to accept, eh, when you are going wrong, you must be rebuked. Don't say that. Did I say that? When you do that, it's not fair. <laughs> Amen. Because you see, God wants to straighten you. God wants to help you. God wants you to be perfect. God wants you to be thoroughly equipped. God wants you to do every good work. But that will not happen until you are rebuked from the word of God. There are a lot of people who have gone off. Sin has become their companion. They drink sin. They swim sin. They talk sin. They chat sin. Everything about them is sin. We can't talk about it. Because who can? Listen, it is better for me to tell you huh, than for me to watch you to die in your sin. Amen. It is better. It is better. I'm telling you, it is better. When you come to church every day, eh, expect that the Holy Spirit will say something that is sinful in your life so you will change. Yeah. Don't always come to come and write 700 principles to success. Bill Gates, which, which uh, 700 principles of success uh, church service did he attend? Hello? Bill Gates. Okay. Bill Gates put there. Uh, uh, do you know Carlos Slim? Oh, go and read about the rich man. Carlos Slim. He is my body. You know, we are all billionaires. Which church service did he attend and the pastor preached 101 ways to success, to financial freedom? So, sorry, expect, sir, Bonina Uti Muna Ubin Huno, Mukon Krombefa or Sophonuso, Aprichi Afaho, now as a child, I drink as amen. Expect that thou which you do in secret. You know what uh, Prophet Neta said to David? He said that God said, Certainly you did this one secretly, but I'm going to punish you openly. The things that you do secretly. When you come to church and the Holy Spirit is leading us to talk about them and you get angry, very soon God is going to shame you publicly. God is going to disgrace you publicly. Let me tell you what, write it down. Sin brings disgrace. So, so when you are living in sin and you are being rebuked, take it in good faith. Amen. Take it in good faith. Wife, your husband rebuked you. Your husband rebuked you. Then,
Should I tell them? Should I tell them? Men can show. So which one do you prefer? That the man will rebuke you or the man will go out there and take a side chick? Which one do you want? Are you in church? So, rebuke is part of the process by which God wants to get you to the ultimate where you become like Christ. You cannot become like Christ by default. It's a process. Amen. And rebuke is part of the process. You know, sometimes we are, we are wrong, but we don't even know we are wrong. Sometimes. There are a lot of people who are genuinely in the wrong. Genuinely. They don't know. Because I've said it before. What you see repeatedly becomes normal to you. Repeatedly. So, for example, growing up, you saw your father bringing other ladies to your house to come and sleep with. And your mother, in the presence of your mother, your mother doesn't complain. You understand? And then, along the line, uh, your father brought in one of the girls as a second wife. And your mother didn't complain. And then, the third one also came to join. And they all coexist. Your mother doesn't complain. And then you saw your uncle also doing the same thing. His wife doesn't complain. And then you saw, there's one Dr. Otin recently that I read. He says that, uh, uh, no, uh, is it Odike? That his wife knows his girlfriend. And his girlfriend also knows his wife. Yeah. My uh, wife and my girlfriend. The side chick. And the side chick and also. And my wife. So you've seen all of this. So by the time you grow up, your mindset has been programmed in such a way to believe that it is normal. Amen. So for such a person, if you're also repeating it, you are repeating something that is wrong but thinking that it is normal. Because wrong has been normalized. Are we together? So there are people who are genuinely living in the wrong. We must rebuke them. Then number two, there are people who are deliberate. The first one is genuinely. They are living in the wrong. They don't know. They think that it is right because they've seen others do it. Then there are people who are deliberately living in the wrong. Deliberately living in the wrong are the, the group of people who know that this thing is wrong, but they are doing it. These ones too must be rebuked. Amen. So what am I trying to say? Whether you know it or not, you must be rebuked. Say, it is wrong and we must stop it. Say amen. And church is meant to do this. Oh, church is meant to do this. Church is meant to do this. Church is meant to tell you that you cannot be in the church and have three girls and be sleeping with all of them. It, it is not right. You cannot be in the church and be stealing. It is not right. Amen. It is not right. You must be rebuked. You cannot be in the church and be sleeping with people's wives and husbands. It is not right. I like the way the church is quiet. Church is supposed to prepare you for the second coming of Christ. Praise God. 
The second thing we talk about is correction. The correction basically talks about using scriptures to point out sin and at the same time offer solution. Rebuke may not necessarily offer solution, but correction offers solution. So, how many of us have done dictation before? Dictation. Beautiful. Do you know normally dictation comes with correction? After the dictation, teacher will do correction. What does, what, what does the teacher do? Who are the students? Sandra, come. first You are a fresh student. Dictation. After the dictation, the correction, what happens? So who does the spelling? The teacher. Thank you. So you have done something that you think it is right. Right? The teacher now will mark the thing. So this one is correct. Continue. This one is wrong. The teacher will mark it wrong. Then the teacher will now show you, teach you how it has to be done. So for example, you are spe- spelling mother. Mother. There you write M-A-D-A. You know it happens. So now the teacher will now mark the mother you've written wrong. And now he will not just leave it there. He will give you the right spelling. So he will now say mother is M-O-T-H-E-R. And then he will explain to you why this mother is not M-A-D-A but M-O-T-H-E-R. Are we together? That is what correction does. So, you have done some things. Some of them are right. Some of them are wrong. Correction says that point out their sins to them and then tell them how they're supposed to live their lives. Are we together? Give me 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 1 to 2. Let's look at the ministry of correction. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers. Let's focus on verse 1 again. Verse 1. Do not do what? Sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him. And that was exactly what Prophet Nathan did. True of us. That was exactly what he did. Scriptures don't contradict. Those of you who believe that scriptures contradict, they are uh, 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 confusing, it is not true. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Amen. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. So, what the Holy Spirit the fact that a father is wrong does not mean that he loses his respect as a father. Are we together? Are we together? but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, verse 2. The older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters, in what? In all purity. In all purity. So how should believers practice the ministry of correction? 
There is a scripture in um, Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to 30. Timothy was serving at the church in Ephesus. False teachers were attacking the church, and some of them were possibly elders. Okay? Some women were also seeking to accept the leadership positions in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 to 15. Women, oh. And then some of the widows were also gossiping and living impure lives in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6 to 7, and then 11 to 13. And then some members, I'm talking about the church that Pastor Timothy was leading. Are we together? Some members had also even fallen away from the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. And then chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Timothy had a timid disposition. He was a pharaoh. It, was, it wasn't natural for Timothy to confront sin in the local church. And, and if you look at the lifestyle of the church in Ephesus, at the time of Timothy, it is similar things that are happening in our churches today. People are living their lives anyhow. And the church doesn't have the courage to talk about it. Many of us would rather just not say anything when others are in sin or are falling away from God. But the scriptures commands us to practice the ministry of correction. Paul said something in... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 and 6. Let's read it quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. And immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife and, 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 and Pastor Timothy couldn't talk about it. Someone sleeping with the, with, with the father's wife. Pastor Timothy was still preaching nice sermons. People have become arrogant and have not mourned instead. So that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Give me verse 6 quickly. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little living lives the whole lamp of dough? The members of the Corinthian congregation were actually boasting in their liberality. Declaring God's love and acceptance of all types of sin. God loves all of us. Whether you are gay, whether you are homosexual, whether you are what? Every sin is sin. God loves, yes, God loves all of us, but God hates certain acts. Am I preaching? Yeah. But the church accepted it. They accepted liberality. Today we have liberal Christians. Liberality. And that was the, the faith of the church pastor Timothy was pastoring. 
The scripture we read in James chapter 5 verse 20. Let's, let's look at it again. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from the death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now when James says that save that person's soul from death, what is he talking about? Number one, he could be referring to a death as a discipline from God for true believers. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 30 to 32. He could be referring to the death as a discipline from God for true believers. First Corinthians 11 30 to 32. Or he could be referring to eternal death. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 to 23. Now we must understand that when people are living in sin, we are expected to correct them. Now, we are not just to point out their sins to them, but we are to point out their sins and then offer remedy, offer solution. For example, whenever you see fair girls, then something happens to you. So I'll tell you that don't see fair girls again. (laughs) Hello? 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 Don't befriend fair girls again. Because if you befriend them, trouble come. So I'll tell you that, my brother, sleeping with the girls is wrong. Pastor, it is not me. When I see fair girls, that is where the solution is. So don't see fair girls. So, correction will point out your sin and then will give remedy. You are a student. Why do you take a pot to the exams hall? Because, Pastor, I'm not able to learn. So, do you know the solution? What's the solution? Learn. Why? Because taking a pot to the exams hall, it's a sin. So, stop it. But, Pastor, if I stop it, I will fail. So, let me teach you how you pass. Learn. Are we together? So correction does not only point out sin. Correction offers remedy. Are you learning? Are you learning? Are you sure? Let's look at a few hindrances to the ministry of correction. Why people are not able to correct people in the church today. Okay? Number one. Often, the ministry of correction is neglected out of fear. How will the people respond? Will they reject me? Give me Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25. Fear often keeps people from doing God's will. And that is certainly true when it comes to correction. The fear of man brings a snare but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Many a times you are not able to correct people because of fear. This thing, before I came to pray this thing, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Because there are some people that after this word they won't come to church. Yeah. But I had to preach it. Amen. So fear is one of the reasons why people cannot correct. So I see you going wrong, but I'm afraid because I don't know how you take it. 
fear. So there are so many people who are going astray in the church. I, 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 amen. So we are not able to correct people out of fear. Maybe you are the one who buys fuel for me every month. A lot of pastors find themselves in this trap. That's why I thank God and me, I do business. In too tough when I want to be a fausica. A lot of people. There was this story about a pastor who was employed. You know, in, in, in America, they employ pastors. Yeah, so you go for interview, then you'll be employed. Just like some of the churches in Ghana. Uh, the rich church, uh, uh, the university interdenominational churches, they employ pastors. So this pastor was employed. And at the interview, he did so well, but his shoe was not good. Yeah, his shoe was not good. So after he got a job, first Sunday, Charlie, fire! Hey! The whole church was shaking. Charlie, the man was on fire, preaching the word, unadulterated word, oh. Rebuking them. You cannot be in the church and be sleeping with each other because you have money. What kind of lifestyle is that? God is making judgment. I said God is making judgment. You paid a school fees for the young girl and the next thing you, 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 you were in bed with a young girl. Is that what God did to you before he gave you money? So after the service, some elders called him and said, hey, 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 hey. We don't do this thing over here. So, oh, how? He thought that they were going to, you know, encourage you. He said, no, 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 no. This kind of sermon says not preach over here. Your shoe is not good. <laughs> hey, say! <laughs> Your shoe is not good. So, um, we have to change the shoe. For you. And um, so one, one elder also looked at his shirt. He said, Oh, this shirt looks torn. Um, we, we, we've got to change the shirt for you. Um, maybe we'll give you some 50 pieces of shirts. Uh, the car you're using, um, it looks like an old car. We've got to change the car for you. And the only condition is that uh, you have to be mindful of what you preach. <laughs> you know, turn down. You know, I mean, Preach normal sermons. Uh, 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 give us principles. Um, you know, come and share these things with us. I mean, what is all this? God is speaking. God is speaking. <laughs> so the man listened to them, and he said they will start with the shoe because your shoe is no good. So the man came to church, and uh, he has to preach. And during worship, normally, because his shoe is no good, when worship is going on, he's not able to nail down. Because when he nails down, you will see that, Charlie. <laughs> Pastor says, yeah, bro. So, the man will come to church, and because, and, and because the mention is now, he's conscious. You know, the things people talk about, you become conscious of. For example, if there is a stain in your dress, and you've not seen it, you will never be concerned until somebody tells you that there is a stain in your bed. All of a sudden, you become conscious. Into an class. <laughs> so, because they mention that his shoe is not good, now when the man comes to church, he cannot kneel down. 
you know. And then when he's preaching and he wants to be hit or something, then he'll remember, your shoe is not good. Then he'll, you know, then he'll go down. Then one day, the Holy Spirit was insisting that the man should say something. Then what is about that? Then he'll remember his shoe. Then he'll keep quiet. Then eventually he said, shoe or no shoe? God is making judgment. I said, God. Shoe or no shoe? God is making judgment. I am telling you, you are in the church. You are doing that. You are, God is making judgment. I am telling you, God, if you don't repent, repent. The only solution is for you to repent. After the surprise that this man can't do itself. The man says shoe or no shoe. God is bringing judgment. My shoe cannot stop the judgment of God. Amen. You see, that is the problem. Um, some of us, because we are very instrumental in the church, we don't want our sins to be pointed out to us. And it's a challenge. I clean the church. I serve the pastor. My tithe is the fattest. We run the church. That is good. But is God running your life? You run the church. That is good. But is God running your life? You give big tithe. That is powerful. Is God big in your life? Is, is, is your moral life upright? Are you working on it? A lot of us, we are afraid. Your, 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 your boyfriend loves you. He, he does so many things for you. But the only thing you don't like about him is that he sleeps with you. But because of the help you get from him, you are not able to correct him. Because if you correct him, he may stop giving you the help he's giving you. Fear. So, the number one reason why we cannot correct people, even though Bible encourages us to correct what they are going wrong, is fear. Number two. Laziness. You see, it takes a lot of efforts to correct people, teach them and bring them back to track. So, like, I had a story of a young lady who went to the hospital to give birth. And he, he, he's a junkie, he's a drug addict. So, at the hospital, I don't know whether she has given birth or yet to give, I don't know. But she couldn't put herself together because she had not taken the thing for some days and she was dying. So she didn't tell the midwives that, look, I know my problem. I have not been on this thing for days. That is what is causing the problem. Take me to the ghetto. Let me go and do it and I'll be fine. So, the senior nurses in charges at the facility took this lady 
a donkey in their car and took her to the ghetto to go and do the thing. When they got to the ghetto, the ghetto boy said they will not allow the senior midwives to enter the ghetto. They should drop the girl for the girl to come because the senior midwives are not part of them. So they allowed the girl to go and do the smoking. The girl went to do herself fine and came out. Then later they met an elderly man who is more like a foster father to the lady. And the man says that he has done everything possible to help this girl to stop smoking. But the girl just can't stop smoking. He takes care of the girl. Just stop smoking. You are destroying your life for the girl can see that his life is going into destruction. But the girl can't stop. And the man says that I have, I have taken her as my own. I, I am doing everything for her to stop smoking. But the girl just can't stop smoking. And that is the problem. So if care is not taken, the man may neglect the girl along the way. The reason is that change is, is not an event. Change is a process. And so, to get somebody to change, you must continue to work on the person. And a lot of us don't have the patience for this. A lot of, a lot of children have gone wayward. Not because they couldn't have been corrected, but because parents gave up on them. Parents didn't have the time to continue working on their own children. Pastors don't have the time. There is, there is a member of the church who hasn't been coming to church for a while now. And our pastors have done everything to get the guy to church. The guy will not come to church. I went to the guy. I said I won't go. Pastor Sabi convinced me to go. So I went. I spoke to the guy. He doesn't have any problem. Have I offended you? I said if I, have, I have offended you, I will kneel down. Me down there is no difficult for me. I will kneel down right now. And apologize to you. He said, Pastor, as for you, in fact, I keep coming to church because of your teachings and you. And the wife tells me that her husband says, I am the only reason why he's still in the church. So why are you not coming to church? It will take a lot of work. He promised coming to church, he's not in church. For such a person, you can easily give up on him. Amen. Easily. But you see, you will agree with me that most of us here, it wasn't easy for God to change us. Others had to keep working on us. Amen. Others had to keep working on us. Others had to keep. There are some people in church today, I have to call them to come to church. And sometimes when I call you, I blast you first. Today, I, I am being careful not to mention. Number three reason why we are not able to correct people is because of the misunderstanding of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Let's read Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. A lot of us don't fully understand the scripture. 
this scripture is often used by believers and unbelievers alike to say that we should never judge others. However, that is not what this verse is saying. Uh, this verse basically forbids hypocritical judging. In other words, neglecting our own sin and condemning others. Let's look at Matthew 7, 5. I think we read it earlier, but let's look at it. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, this one tells you how you can do the verse 1. Go to the verse 1. The verse 1 says that do not judge so that you will not be judged. But the verse 5 is saying that before you can judge, make sure that you are not judging people about the same thing that you are doing. So, if you are doing wrong and I'm correcting you, I'm not judging you. Are we together? And in fact, if you are, you are, you are, you are, you are doing something wrong, I am expected to correct you. Just that it must not be done in a hypocritical manner. Number four. The ministry of correction is neglected because of relativism. Relativism. R-E-L-A-T-I-V-I-S-M. Relativism. Relativism is the view that there are no absolutes. There is no right or wrong. It is the view that says that what is right for me is for me and what is right for you is for you. So it is no longer about the scriptures but it's about what I think and what you think. That is relativism. For example, one might say for me, living with my girlfriend before marriage is wrong for me. Is that okay? But who am I to judge somebody else? So, living with my girlfriend before marriage for me is wrong. But if you think it is right for you, I will not judge you. Who am I? That is relativism. And many Christians think like this. And therefore, would never correct another believer living in sin. So, I see people, believers on social media saying that, as for them, they will not do trouble, trouble. Hello. As for them, they won't do it. But if that is what you want to do, it is your life, you can do it. Ah, but if the thing is not good for you, why do you think it is good for somebody? And that is the, the problem we have in our generation. Relativism. I am not going to tell you that what you are doing is wrong. But for me, it is wrong, so I won't do it. Why do you think that? Okay, so how did you arrive at that which is wrong? Amen. As for me, I will not cheat on my wife. But if that is what you want to do, I will not judge you. It is up to you and your God. No, you are to correct the person. Out of love, say amen. Out of love. All right. The last one says that for training in righteousness. Then I'll, I'll end. For training in righteousness. This point is similar to teaching. Okay. But the only difference is that training is more focused on practical application. 
from scripture, we learn what is true, what is wrong, how to correct wrong, and how to apply truth. The righteousness that has come to the believer by faith is actualized by the training of God's word, on the application of God's word. So, the Bible says that when you receive the scriptures, you learn the scriptures, you will be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. But before that happens, you must be trained in righteousness. The righteousness that you have received, you must be trained to walk in it. Amen. Because nobody walks in righteousness by default. No, it doesn't happen. You don't walk in righteousness by default. You must be trained to walk in righteousness. How do we train you? As I am doing now, constantly. Constantly. And sometimes I use practical life experiences. So you are being trained to, to actualize the righteousness that you have received from the Lord. Are we okay? So today, I have spoken about a number of things. Uh, I have spoken about rebuke. I have spoken about correction. Most importantly, I have spoken about why we don't correct. Why we don't correct. And then I have also spoken about for righteousness, uh, for training in righteousness. Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Reverend Jerry Payne. For more information about our ministry, kindly visit our website at www.disciplenationschurch.org or call us on 0244-733-659. Locate the workplace of Disciple Nations Church at Otoko Official Town Market near the Bonnie Bend Building or Sadiba Electronics in Accra. God bless you.